we're past the beginning of the semester. We know there's a lot of startup issues there. Um, what's come up in the last week that was just like, the, without naming names or courses, just different things you did? What hasn't come up in the past few weeks? <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. In this episode, we will be discussing the role of the instructional designer in higher education. The field of instructional design originated when psychologists and educators were asked to develop a quick way to train soldiers during World War II. Afterwards, the evolution of instructional design split into two areas, with the first one being focused on training and development in the military and industrial settings, and the second was more focused on the development of theoretical frameworks and educational psychology. As technology became more intertwined in our everyday lives in the 90s, the emergence of the instructional design practitioner within higher education emerged to become more prominent. As institutions began to develop online courses and integrate technologies, they often turned to instructional designers to assist with this integration. This is why instructional designers who work in higher education are often associated more with technology than anything else. But instructional designers do so much more than that. We are involved in providing both pedagogical and technology training, supporting the learning management system, designing and developing online and blended learning courses, producing multimedia, project management, and providing quality assurance to ensure that institutional and federal guidelines are met. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design. My name is Stephen Crawford, and I am the Associate Director for Academic Innovation in ASU's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. And to kick things off, I want to ask our panel here today to describe, introduce themselves and describe how they became an instructional designer. Hello, I'm Jeanette Senecal, and I'm a manager of instructional design at ASU College of Nursing and Health Innovation, and I became an instructional designer kind of by accident. My undergraduate degree was focused on technology, specifically computer information systems, and while I knew after I graduated that I wanted to continue um, to connect with higher education, I didn't have a clear picture on how. Through working with a variety of, of um, talented people in higher education for over several years, I actually realized through a conversation that there was a true field of study and career path in educational technology and realized it was a thing that was incredibly exciting and, and interesting. Um, and I pursued a master's of educational technology and realized that that was exactly the place to be because there are so many different paths to take. Celia? Hi, I'm Celia Katraitiwa. I am the Senior Instructional Designer for College of Nursing and Health Innovation and the Academic Innovation Team. Um, so I got my start with instructional design. It wasn't my first thought. I actually came from the elementary education background, but also a bachelor's degree in interdisciplinary arts and performance with a focus on digital video. So once I went into the classroom, I naturally integrated technology, which then led to positions within our district as a technology mentor where I was providing professional development for other teachers. Once I decided to leave the elementary education classroom, I started to look into higher ed and the instructional design positions. So my background kind of lended itself to a full-time position as an instructional designer, utilizing all of the experiences that I had before this. Hey there, uh, my name is Aaron Kraft, and I am an instructional designer for the Academic Innovation Team here at the College of Nursing and Health Innovation at ASU. 
And uh, I have actually been working in an educational capacity since 2001. Uh, some of my first part-time jobs as an undergraduate student involved tutoring, after-school tutoring, teaching English at libraries, and it was a good fit, so I continued on that path, and eventually I started to get into the technological side. I was working for websites in China, and I was even working for some schools in Shanghai that uh, were owned by the textbook publisher Pearson, and they outfitted each room with these smart whiteboards, and they let us have access to their software so we could create games to, to uh, fit or to go along with their uh, curriculum. And so I really enjoyed that, and I eventually decided that's what I wanted to do. So I looked at master's programs, and I found one, and I got my degree in instructional design. And my name is Steven, and as I introduced earlier, and my start has two origin points that eventually uh, merged together. Um, I began as a trainer. I was doing a lot of community-based training within various nonprofit organizations, and in some cases, writing curriculum for workshops and developing a series of workshops. But during the day, I was an IT professional working in a university setting, uh, first setting up technology, writing web applications. And one of the, the things that kind of left me uncomfortable in that day job role was the fact that a lot of times we were using technology because we could, not because we should. We would, we would buy all these great new tools that we said faculty would love this and this will make their job so much easier, but we never considered A, how they would use it, and B, why they would use it. And so a lot of the adoptions failed. And so we had a lot of equipment that would lay around. Eventually, I went to a conference where there was a group of instructional designers who were pointing at the other corner of the room saying those IT people, those information technologists, they have no idea what they're doing. They don't understand what we're trying to accomplish. I then saw that corner they were pointing to going, those IDs, those instructional designers have no idea what they're doing and they have no idea what we're trying to accomplish. And my original goal in becoming an instructional designer was to be that person who sat in the middle, to take my experiences as a trainer and as someone who is writing uh, workshops and curriculum and my information technology background. I said, I just want to be that person in the middle. So I kind of accidentally became an instructional designer I did that by um, completing a master's degree in instructional design and technology. It was more ed psych focused than technology focused, and then later a doctorate in leadership and innovation. And I've been fortunate enough to also leverage my experience as an online faculty member as well, because I've taught some online courses. So I have a good mix of, of those backgrounds. And I think our introductions show that there are a lot of different types of instructional designers who you will probably meet down the road. We come from different backgrounds. We have different expectations because of that. And I, you know, in my travels, I've seen a number of instructional designers who were master teachers who came from the faculty at their institution and were promoted into that instructional design position as a master teacher. And there are a number of us who come through experiences, through degrees, et cetera. Um, you know, when I think about working with instructional designers, one of the questions that come, I, I think is a good one to start with is, 
you know, working with them? How do you work with them? So when do faculty typically contact you? I'll kick this one off. So I think I would say 40% of the time I get contacted for troubleshooting issues within the LMS. And uh, I'm happy to do that, of course. Um, I would say the another 40% of the time I'm consulting for course builds. For example, uh, the instructor is new to online and they don't even know where to begin. Um, so I sort of help them, I help facilitate that process and get their course fleshed out into a virtual environment. And the other 20% is sort of other. <laughs> you know, um, I would say something between supporting workflows, facilitating workflows, or creating help documentation uh, because maybe they want to know how to do something themselves and so they just need a quick uh, help doc for that and I'll throw something together real quick. Aaron, I think that's a great breakdown and a good illustration exactly of what we alluded to in the introduction. Instructional designers have been perceived to exist because of technology. And I agree that a a good hearty percentage of the reason faculty come to us are just that, to fix problems, put out fires within learning management systems for online courses and beyond, and also from time to time, you have a group of faculty who are truly interested in being innovators, but they don't really know where to start. So from their their viewpoint, they have kind of answered the question for themselves, what technology or what they want to accomplish, but they don't have the how. So Celia, when would you like, ideally, a faculty member to contact you? And with what kind of questions do you want to have them ask you? So going off of what Jeanette just said, and sometimes the faculty don't necessarily know how, I would prefer that faculty contact us when they first get their course assigned. Um, I feel like getting a head start would help us to collaborate more getting an idea of what they're really wanting to do with their courses, and then giving them some ideas on how to actually make things happen. And sometimes it's just giving them ideas on what new things they can do. Sometimes they don't know what exactly there is out there that that would help enhance their courses. But sometimes it's even just simple instructional techniques that um, some courses could benefit from. It would also, I believe, help some of the troubleshooting issues that sometimes occur if we are brought in a little sooner than later. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. The sooner, the better. I think that speaks really well to a vision of being partners and co-creators with faculty. And it's not always about online courses or face-to-face courses or whatever, but the art and science of teaching and when or if technology is best applied to accomplish those goals. You know, I'm going to go back a step further and borrow on your co-creation comment there, Jeanette. My most meaningful experience I've ever had as an instructional designer, it has been um, the opportunity I had to work with a program that was currently being, well, not currently, that was being redesigned to be delivered in a fully online format. And what was so rewarding about that was that I was brought in as they were developing the learning objectives, because they were blowing all their courses up and they were redesigning all their courses at once. So as an instructional designer who did not have subject matter knowledge, I was allowed in the room to talk about, well, what learning objectives should be placed when. I was in the position as they were writing the learning objectives to ask the question, 
How will you evaluate that? And that led to a number of learning objectives being rewritten because as that question got asked and we thought about what would alignment look like down the road, we wrote more effective learning objectives because of that. It was a great partnership and it was something that I, like I said, to this day was the most enjoyable experience I had because we took nine courses, we created nine courses with strong learning objectives that went through the the faculty curriculum committees and were approved and were deployed with strong learning objectives, aligned assessments, and all the materials that needed to be along, uh, go along with that. And we had a number of items staged in different courses. So for example, this was a model where we had the first two courses, we introduced all the technologies that they were gonna use for the entire program. So when the students got to course three and beyond, they no longer could use the I never saw that technology before excuse because they had a chance to practice in a low stakes opportunity. So I love it when instructional designers have the opportunity to be part of that conversation from before day one. Mm. That's a great example. And I would just add that uh, it's been my experience that instructional designers are incredibly committed and heartened by supporting success both for faculty and students. And we find it intrinsically satisfying to be there from start to finish. You know, and, and, and start to finish, even with the course itself, because sometimes we're in that unique position that we know where one course finishes and where the next one starts, there might be a gap that we can identify and assist both faculty in filling. Right. I, I, th- I appreciate the point that instructional designers look at learning as a science we come in, we offer this alternate point of view that, well, you know, let's take a look at your learning objectives. Whereas I often see, for example, students will understand such and such. We say, well, you know, how are they going to understand it? Right. So we don't have to be the subject matter experts, but we're saying you might want to consider this in measurable terms, which is proven to, uh, I would say, improve the effectiveness of the learning itself. Right. So we're bringing in that, uh, an alternate lens or adding a new viewpoint which I think is ultimately helpful. I would have to agree. I I think education as a whole is just a great place for collaboration to occur. So when you have content experts, it should naturally have a partnership with someone who has more of the instructional expertise. And not to say that faculty wouldn't have that experience. Faculty have a wide range of experience, but you do have instructional designers who come in with um, backgrounds in teaching or learning, and they're, they've worked for a good amount of time just knowing the science of teaching and learning. And so to tap into that um, expertise from instructional designers would benefit many courses and would create a better, deeper partnership with faculty so that there becomes an entrusting collaboration piece there. You know, that's an interesting thing you you mentioned there, Celia. I I think about the TPAC framework and, you know, I think about the faculty in this college. Faculty in general are hired because of their content knowledge, which is the CK part of TPAC. Instructional designers can help develop and fill in the gaps by adding the technology knowledge as well as the pedagogical knowledge to that equation and help faculty grow and become stronger in in, in all three domains. 
So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and let's think about, you know, some of the things that we're currently doing uh, to kind of give an idea. I mean, we kind of talked about some of our idea things and what we'd like to see done. But what you know, let's talk about reality for a moment. What are some of the um, what are what are some of the things that faculty are contacting you right now about? You know, what what are some of the common things you're seeing? I mean, at, at this early part of the semester. Beginning of the semester, I think we're trying to organize the computer-based testing, which is a big need here at the uh, College of Nursing and Health Innovation. A lot of courses are moving over to computer-based testing, which is kind of a new thing for not just the instructors, but for the students as well. And so there's like a massive, I would say, overhaul or at least trying to implement a workflow that can accommodate the growing demand because it's sort of reached a critical mass is what it, I'm, I'm coming in as sort of an outsider since I just started here, you know, less than a month ago. But it looks like it's reached a critical mass and the students are getting used to it and the instructors are more and more moving over to it. And we need to rein that in before it becomes unruly, right? And so facilitating that workflow has been a challenge. But I would say that just because it's the beginning of the semester, we're getting all the requests right now for, uh, can you help me get my CBT, computer-based testing set up? Can you help get my students trained? Can you make sure the test is in the LMS and ready to go? And, you know, you talked about the unruly or inconsistent uh, deployment or, or usage of computer-based testing. Jeanette, you're part of a, a co-creation effort on that, I believe, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that speaks to uh, another aspect that uh, instructional designers can consider in leadership avenues to partner with faculty, to partner with faculty governance in some cases, to develop uh, programmatic or systematic ways of implementing new technologies, new procedures for better outcomes for student learning and efficiency of the teaching process. And that's a, that's a clear connect for why computer-based testing is um, being adopted at the college so widely, not only for students in order to get experience and preparation for taking their NCLEX exam to become licensed nurses, but also to um, minimize the amount of administrative load across program support staff and individual faculty. Now, to also show that we're doing more than computer-based testing, um, you're also doing a lot of work with faculty on interfacing with publisher assets. Yes, indeed. And that can be a very mixed experience in terms of the technological impact. There are many different ways to get commercial products into learning management systems and to use them with students. It often takes uh, a collaborative effort between a designer, a faculty, and sometimes a technical person from the company. But when they work, sometimes there's great opportunity for learning, particularly in online courses where some materials really are static and dry and having interactive modules can kick it up a notch. And Celia, you've been working with some projects on, on two different fronts. Uh, the first one being digital portfolios and the other one maybe a future learning management system. Yes. So I have uh, four programs that I've been working with in implementing a tool called Digication. Um, it is a digital portfolio, and with each program, we've kind of tailored the use of and the build of the portfolios to the need of each college. And so that's one area that I've really um, 
really enjoyed doing is when I've been talking with each of the programs, I've had to find that to kind of do that um, needs assessment type of thing with um, each of the programs to find out how can we make this portfolio effective for the students and the faculty to make sure that they are doing it not just for the tech sake, but the technology sake, but for the actual um, use to make sure that they're getting what they need out of the tool. Um, so to tailor the need, to tailor the portfolio to the needs has been a rewarding experience just because it it's not the same look and feel for each one. I've had to take into consideration um, different pieces um, and make or put an importance in different pieces of the portfolio. And then you also talked about the um, LMS, the learning management system. So right now our university is looking at two different uh, learning management systems and kind of weighing the pros and cons of each. And so it's been a lot of fun working with that. Um, we are looking at the the Blackboard environment as well as the Canvas environment. And so getting to dig a little deeper into Canvas and do some playing around with that to see what we can do, what we can push, um, what are the limitations, that's also been a, re a rewarding experience as well in getting to be on the um, somewhat forefront of that um, and getting to try things out and pilot things out ahead of you know pushing it out to um, a wider community within the university. Um, one of the other things that I've been doing as well with faculty that I've been having a lot of fun with is I do have one particular faculty that has come to me early on in the development of her course. And so I've been able to work with her on just um, teaching in general, which I'm really enjoying as far as she is definitely the content expert and has come with come to me with a wide um, range of plans. She's done all the, you know, footwork and planning things out, but I've gotten to actually sit there and go through her plans and talk with her a lot about how um, her plans could potentially work out. Now, in her case, she's done a lot of content, and now we're just trying to filter out some of the unneeded pieces to really make a very effective um, course. And I say that's rewarding because, like I said, she is the content expert. She has come in with a lot of content, but getting to sit with her and really get into some deep, deep conversations on what is the most important piece of the content that the students are needing, and then how do we get that content to them has been a very interesting uh, piece because we don't get to do that with a lot of courses given the time frame. Um, time limits. And then also, um, you know, sometimes faculty don't really know that we have some of that other expertise outside of technology. And so with this particular faculty, we've gotten into some really deep conversations on the art of teaching and learning. So very cool. And you know, one project I'm working on right now is playing with these 360 VR cameras and looking at how we can use them to orient nurses to different medical environments and such as a virtual field trip without having to actually get into those environments physically or as a precursor to, in, to getting into those environments. Um, and we're doing this all between, as we put it earlier, putting out the fires. And, and so let's touch on some of the fires a little bit just to kind of hint 
on those things. So what are some of the things that have come up, say, unexpectedly, emails, phone calls, just in the last week? Because since we've, we're past the beginning of the semester, we know there's a lot of startup issues there. Um, what's come up in the last week that was just like, without naming names or courses, just different things you did? What hasn't come up in the past few weeks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, for me, it's the usual. Um, the Grade Center is very complex. It's a, it's a jungle in some ways. It can be. And I, I often see a lot of small incongruities that add up to larger issues, like the total points uh, will not reflect what's in the syllabus, for example. And then you got to you know, troubleshoot that, which can take forever because you have a lot of different aspects that you have to look through. I got to say, that's probably one of the more one of the bigger issues that I've been looking at lately. Yeah, I was going to go there as well. And just add to the the grade center complexity. Uh, a lot of the questions that I get are about um, getting recommendations or advice for more efficiently using the grade center. So it's like the workflow. It's not just the technology and the calculations, but how can I move through uh, reviewing 120 projects in a way that makes sense and doesn't, you know, kill me. So... Um, you know, earlier you asked when should faculty contact you or when would you like faculty to contact you? And one of the questions I get a lot in the startup of the semester is, can you take a look at my course and see if, you know, things are working right? I actually enjoy that question because I feel like going back to that partnership um, and that collaboration piece, that question it does make me happy because I feel like sometimes when you're building something, you need an extra pair of eyes. And so when they do ask us for um, ask us questions like that to, you know, just kind of look at their course, run through it real quick, see if things are working. I feel like we become that extra set of eyes. So then we can pose some extra questions or check on things like that um, with the grade center issues or maybe a link isn't quite working uh, or working right or linking out wrong because that then avoids some of those um, fires that we tend to have to kind of take care of through actually sometimes throughout the course um, sessions. So we've talked about some of the things that we've been up to lately, project-wise and, and, and on an as-needed basis. So what kind of project would you like to work with faculty? What are you not doing today that you would love to do? And for me, I'll go ahead and give you a moment to think about it as I say that for me, there are two things that I would love to see us more involved in. And one of it is a more deeper uh, collaboration with our curriculum committees to help them design and develop new courses. Um, and the other one is I would love to see us doing more with unfolding case studies. I think there's a really neat untapped potential there. And I think recently we've put ourselves in a position to do more with that. So those are two I would put out there. What are some of your ideas that you would love faculty to come to with us? I'm quite interested in virtual simulations, and that, that connects back to case studies in a way, um, but finding a way to help build um, and develop robust, reusable, um, open educational resources or finding existing resources to implement uh, in a way that provide particularly the online students as close to a hands-on experience as possible. I'm going to be a little selfish. I actually... I dabbled in web development as a hobby. And so I really would love to develop a mobile app from the ground up 
I would love to have all the time in the world because I'm a terrible web developer, so I would actually be learning how to do it through the project. But I would like to take my time with something, maybe a year or two, work with uh, an instructor or a set of instructors to develop a mobile app where the students could actually go out into an authentic environment, whether it's the real world or... I, I know it, this is the College of Nursing, so you have privacy issues, but if that weren't an issue, right... Uh, yeah, get out into the to the real world, get out into an authentic environment, take your mobile device and interface with my app. <laughs> and then, you know, over the time through rapid prototyping, make it into a, a, a very polished product. I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, for me, going back to my enjoyment in working with tools and software, I would have to say um, building some e-learning modules for courses, but also for professional development as well. I've done that here and there in the past, and I find a lot of joy in just building things like that, interactive tools. But also, I would go back to what you said, Stephen, and um, being a part of some of the curriculum building conversations that there are, especially when we are in the middle of uh, adopting new curriculum. I think that it would be very interesting to be part of some of those early conversations to help, again, be that extra pair of eyes and add some of those tips or ideas into some of those uh, conversations. So I want to thank everybody for for participating in this conversation. Uh, I think we had a lot of really interesting ground covered. And I also want to thank Ricardo Leon for making our audio sound fantastic. Uh, hopefully all the vehicles outside didn't... Uh, mess with us too much. But what I do want to say is also, I want to thank you, the audience as well. And I want to ask faculty, you know, if you ever think there's got to be an easier way to do something, whether it's technology base, pedagogical base, either, I mean, you know, if there's something in your classroom or a way you're approaching a problem, and it may be something as simple as there's got to be an easier way to do these table of contents in a Word document to something extremely difficult with an assessment. Give us a call. If we can't help uh, find an answer for you, we'll probably help find a person who could give you an answer. So please use us as a resource for anything and everything related to your teaching and learning process. And with that, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an in instruction by design underscore podcast, or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation.